Cowboy. Cowboy. Hello and welcome to Digital Cowboy's fantastic first anniversary episode. This is a collection of some of the best moments from the past year, including rare bits you may never have heard, incisive debate on crucial gaming and movie issues, and scathing reviews of some of the tat we watch in our spare time. My name is Alex Shaw, you'll also hear from regular hosts Paul Shotton and Tony Atkins, as well as guests Tom Underhill and Matt Lowe. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a year's worth of The Cowboys. Letters from Iowa Jim. Jim Iwo Jima. Letters from Iwo Jima. Okay, right. Now I'm going to uh, I'm going to start with my Clint Eastwood thing here. I have to say this because obviously Go it's going to turn up in the podcast. Right. It's not really a rant. It's just basically it is an admission that I do not gel with Clint Eastwood movies. It's I, I completely understand that some of them are good, some of them are bad, some of them are, are masterpieces such as Mystic River, but I have not watched a single one and gone, that speaks to me on some level that I can't even articulate. Because, to me, and I've said this over and over and over, each Clint Eastwood movie seems to be speaking on another level, some sort of old man reflecting on life, looking at things in a very quiet, very contemplative way. Okay, Space Cowboys I kind of enjoyed. But that's because it had a little bit more energy. Because most of the time, I just feel like there's some sort of ghostly Morgan Freeman behind my left ear going, sometimes there's a man. A man who must go to war for his country. And when he goes to war, he finds something in himself that he had not dreamed was there. And sometimes there's a man. And just keeps going on and blah, blah, blah. And people talk and you don't like them much. And then it ends after four hours. The films are for adults. Yes, so you keep telling me, implying that I am not an adult because I don't like them. Yes, well done. Is, is that right? Is that, is that the divide? <laughs> yes. It is oh, a simple no. case of, I, I if you don't like Clint Eastwood films, you're a child. Yeah, okay, right, that's perfect. Yeah, What's brilliant. The one that, what was it called? Oh, blood something or the other. It was terrible. Uh, blood had, work. What, blood work, yeah, it was blood rubbish. Work. Absolutely rubbish. Rubbish. From beginning to end, it was... It was ab- this is a line where I think Jeff Daniels said, oh, oh man, I was came when you said that. I just thought that <laughs> the entire movie in just in a sort of roundabout sort of way. It was just awful. But uh, he's, I don't know, he went from really shit to then he, I think, really good. Mystic River, Million Dollar Baby, etc. All mm-hmm. marvellous films, I think. And I, I, mm-hmm. I really like Flags of Our Fathers as well, although it is occasionally a little bit sort of... <sighs> Strange the, uh, American, the patience. I think is the word. American. And lastly, um, just on, on a more comedic note uh, on, regarding the actual nominations, uh, best makeup. Yeah. Ah, click. Why? <laughs> <laughs> um, As we discussed, I, I, do you imagine that someone, some executive, was like five in the morning? He's in the deep, deep dark pit of despair. He's, you know, the, no, the nominations come out. He's sat there going, "God, what have I done?" And the nominations for best makeup. Click. What? Click. <laughs> I've attained greatness. 
No, no, it's, no. It's up against Apocalypto and, of course, the absolutely wonderful Sublime Pan's Labyrinth. So basically the implication is that, what, is it Adam Sandler made to look old or something? I have no idea. I have, no. No have you seen idea. it? Why? Anyone probably, seen it? Probably to hide the lines on David Hasselhoff's face. But Why? <laughs> He's an old man. We all know this. Yes, no, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Up? I don't know. He... he well, <sighs> Well, I'm assuming, I can only assume that the film is basically sort of, has aspirations to be one of those kind of movies where Adam Sandler ends up going, oh, Clarence, Clarence, I want to live! And that, you know, it would require some sort of, you know, makeup to make people look older or younger or something, I don't know. Uh, that's pretty, uh, uh, as far as I can tell, is pretty much exactly what happens, but um, ah. I, I just I just can't fathom exactly what, you know, why. <laughs> yeah. It's mystifying, really. It makes no sense. Speaking of rentals, uh, while you guys were busy seeing probably one of the best films of the year, I wasted my entire evening watching Epic Movie, as I said I would last week. Now, a lot of people I'm assuming were expecting some sort of uh, explosion of hatred and bile from me, but I honestly can't sum it up. In fact, hold on a second, I've just got to, I've just got to get my statistics that I compiled for it while watching it. Hold on. Okay, got him. Right. Uh, these are the statistics for the film. Rather than actually trying to do a proper review for it, because it is just a collection of extremely lazily thought out jokes. That's, that's all it is, really. Um, that's all the scary movie movies are, and the epic movie and the date movie. Don't, don't think it's anything else. It's not a collection of, of jokes that people have sort of finely crafted, all like airplane, something in context. It's nothing like a return to the halcyon days of the naked gun, or hot shots even. It's just a collection of poor ass jokes. Things like, for example, Cal Penn sort of playing Augustus Gloop in, uh, uh, the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory segment, which I, I have to mention, by the way, um, Crispin Glover was in. Now, Crispin Glover is the man who said no to Bob Zemeckis when they were making Back to the Future 2. He held out for more money to come back as George McFly. I think he maybe had a really bad agent at the time. I Probably, this kind of compounds that possibility. And he said, no, I, I need a million dollars to play George McFly again. And so Bob and uh, Steven Spielberg, or whoever was executive producing it, went, do we really need him? Ah, uh, we can edit him out. And they were sad about it, but ultimately, he played the asshole. He did the thing that Marcus Chong did for The Matrix, and uh, it's ultimately, all the history remembers of these people are that they're greedy assholes. Uh, there's no, there's nothing there that they can gain from it. But either way, he decided the best thing for him to do this year was Epic Movie. Um, and I have to say, it's, it's even beneath him. Uh, for, as low as that is, he's fucking excellent as George McFly. And seeing him pull off what is basically a caricature of a really poor performance from Johnny Depp in Child and the Chocolate Factory, I really fucking hated what Depp did with that character. And, and Burton, I can't just blame Depp for it, but basically they decided to take the, the essence of the character, the, the central crux of the story of Child and the Chocolate Factory, and turn him into, I don't know, some sort of weird Michael Jackson character. He's like, he's, he's really pale, and he's really timid, and he's really weird, and he won't talk to anyone, and he's, it's, it's nothing like... Well, it's, it's nothing like Willy Wonka. And that's replicated on screen, only Crispin Glover also breakdances and brands people. Um, 
Uh, okay, so anyway, uh, Cal Penn goes to the chocolate river, starts eating what's clearly a turd, and then uh, Crispin Glover says, after an agonizingly long moment, not because it's like, oh, that's such a bad joke, but because it's just like, could you just get to the punchline, please? That's the sewage outlet. Now, we already knew this because anybody stupid enough to go see this would have already seen the trailer. So I had to sit there and watch each joke play itself out, slowly dragging on. And I say joke in the loosest term because basically all it is is a collection of slapstick moments. The amount of actual general slapstick moments, 27 actual moments of slapstick. Um, uh, 11 of which were someone being banged in the head. Um... Three instances of extra falling over. Twenty instances of a dated pop culture. Lots of rapping, lots of sort of break dancing and stuff. And like, you know, oh, we can't... I think people are nodding off. Let's throw in some big-titted women. Um, Eleven... (laughs) Sorry? (laughs) Eleven racial stereotypes. Four instances of stupid voices. Six instances of uh, baldy humour. Ten instances of fart or poo or or bodily fluid jokes. Um, And... Uh, okay, uh, here's the thing that really kicked. 22, <clears throat> 22 jokes that were hammered into the ground. I mean, like, once they'd done the punchline, they went back and did it again and again and again. Okay, these are not movies. These are just collections of fucking rubbish. Uh, David Carradine was in this movie for just an instant uh, at the beginning, playing the guy who gets murdered in the Da Vinci Code. He is so far above this, it's not even worth discussing. Jennifer Coolidge, who for some reason keeps going in for stuff like this, even though she can, uh, can be absolutely incredible in things like uh, all the Christopher Guest films. She, remember, plays Stifler's mom, and they, in fact, make a very tired reference to the fact that she's a MILF. Uh, she plays the white bitch in the Narnia segment of it. Interestingly enough, the Narnia segment was the only bit which was actually worth watching. No, it wasn't worth watching, but of the whole thing, they'd actually watched the film because uh, the the set design was kind of similar and they'd listened to the... Whoever had done the music had listened to the soundtrack. So at least the rest of them just felt like they'd watched the trailers and said, right, what joke can we spin out of that one? Okay, someone shoots Superman in the eye and he goes, ah, you shot me in the eye. It's exactly the same as it was in the trailer. There's nothing else to that scene. Um... Fred Willard is in this. He plays Aslo, who's basically Aslan. And um, Fred Willard, again, fantastic in everything I've ever seen him in, apart from shit like this. Why does he do stuff like that? And that dwarf who is in Bad Santa, Tony Cox, again, way above this sort of thing. But he's a dwarf. What's he going to do? You know, he's he's a a midget. (laughs) Um, I don't know. Appear in a good movie, like the guy was in The Station Agent? Oh, yes. (laughs) <laughs> Beautiful Peter Dinklage <laughs> Why? Oh god I mean you know I, I really feel for little people Because they're really uh, The amount of stuff That must get offered When they go into for, To their agent What have you got for me? Well um There's the station agent Yeah I'll have it uh, What else have you got for me? Um We got a movie where you ba- Basically it's just body fascism And they make fun of the fact That you're little Is there anything else I can do? No Peter Jackson doing anything? No You sure? Nope <laughs> Fucking ter- Terry Gilliam. No, he's doing things without dwarfs this year. So you get to be an epic movie. And again, he's way above this shit. And it's... Oh. This movie is painful to watch. But I actually ended up, rather than hating it, pitying everybody involved. Because the writers clearly are, are absolutely washed up and are like one movie away from never working again. Um... Because they're not needed. Ultimately, they could get a lobotomized monkey to come in and do better jokes than these. Um, and everybody actually acting, and it looked like they were having a thoroughly miserable time of it, especially... 
Example <laughs> 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 again. Not dramatic pause. Cal Pen. <laughs> well, again, I days will continue after these matters. There was a, a bit when uh, he thought she, uh, the white bitch, said, "I live in over there in that white castle," and he looks at it and goes, "I've never been there." And it's like, oh God, because he was in Howard and Kumar. Howard and Kumar go to White Castle, called Howard and Kumar. Go, the Munchies over here because we've never heard of White Castle, and it's important that we get patronised as a nation. Anyway, this movie represents everything I hate. Yet I find myself. Just sad that it exists. Um, F minus. And you promised us you weren't going to rant. <laughs> it's just toss. That's all it is, kids. It's just toss. They go for the easiest jokes imaginable. And they're not even jokes. So, anyway. Oh, he got hit in the head. Oh, he's breakdancing. Uh, and, and also, the worst Jack Sparrow impression I've seen. I've seen blokes down the pub doing better Jack Sparrow impressions, not in costume. Born in New Zealand in 64, a hot-headed actor named Russell Crowe. He loves to act, but he loves one thing more, fight around the world. Okay, redundant me even mentioning this now, but uh, anyone remember Custer's Revenge? No. <laughs> Before my time. Oh, right, yes, sorry, <laughs> yes. <heard> yes. <laughs> yes, yes, Custer's yes, yes. Revenge. Was a game for the Atari 2600 released by Mystique under the brand Swedish Erotica and featured a naked general. Now, when I say naked general, because we're talking about the, the days of pixels where everything was like four pixels high, and we're talking Pac Man here. A naked General Custer advancing across the screen, dodging arrows until he could reach a topless Native American woman who was apparently tied to a pole and then rape her. In light of that, <laughs> I think hot coffee is actually quite tame, and that was years ago. But you would think the game's mostly uh, something like Postal, which just involves you know different points of the body, which you can blow you know blow an arm off and deconstruct a body in every way, shape, or form. You'd well, think not just that, but ultimately the being able to go mental in public with you know real people. Yeah, so much like Grand Theft Auto. But the point is that there's nothing else to do in the game in post. But this is funny. So you'd think it would be a game like that would actually pick up all the controversy because you know it, it's very violent and it's you know it teaches kids a far worse behaviour than look, mummy and daddy have sex. It's a killing simulator. Yeah, it's. Uh, Horrific, deplorable violence is okay as long as they don't use any naughty words. I believe that was from South Park, bigger long and uncut. I think we could wander into uh, America's law and policies on guns and violence over sex um, for a, a very, very long time and deconstruct that, but really it, it, that would make actually a, a fairly interesting podcast to talk about. You know, Guns aren't linked to crime in states, apparently. Apparently not. And you'd be a fool and a communist to make the connection. Um... <laughs> It's worth mentioning, by the way, if you look up Carmageddon on Wikipedia, uh, it says underneath it, for the Random Acts of Kindness event, Carmageddon, see Join Me. <laughs> <laughs> Please, folks, don't get the two confused. One of them yeah. is an absolutely pointless game where you butcher innocent people in your car. Another one <laughs> is basically a, a big meeting of very, very nice people where you sort of get together, hug each other, give each other cups of tea, and give presents to random strangers. <laughs> Oh, I want to play Carmageddon Apocalypse <laughs> now. Oh, Carmageddon 2 Apocalypse now. Oh, man. Carmageddon 4 was cancelled. Oh, why? And Carmageddon TV never released due to Gizmondo's, On the Gizmondo's demise. demise. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Your... 
Maybe that that was a game where you get got to drive in a Ferrari Enzo and crash into trees. <laughs> or you allowed Dietrich to drive you. I'm still I'm still looking at Custer's revenge, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry guys, I have to say, Custom's Revenge has got to be our our picture for this this month. <laughs> for the well, actual yeah, actually, digital cowboys. Will you, will you block out the the penis? No. Leave it in there. Oh, no, leave it. <laughs> I, I think that's just offensively stupid. That is extraordinary. He looks like a badly drawn pink cactus. Quite incredible. Custom's Revenge. Check out Beat 'em and Eat 'em. <laughs> in, in this game, the, pair controls, uh, the, the player controls a pair of nude women who scuttle back and forth underneath a building as a ridiculously well-endowed man constantly ejaculates from the roof of roof. The objective is to move, move these women so they can see the man's semen before it hits the ground. <laughs> our, our BBFC rating is going higher and higher every day. It's extraordinary. Every uncaught sperm is sacred and could have been a, could have been a famous doctor or a lawyer. Where are they catching it? Well <laughs> God. This makes Manhunt too seem positively mature. That's unbelievable. Anyway. Anyway. That chick seemingly loves ice cream. Absolutely. Yeah. And, I mean, as it stands, the Carmageddon ban was overturned on appeal. So you never know, Rockstar might have a chance. Anyway. <laughs> Please release it so I can have an excuse to buy a Wii. What have you been filling your time with yeah, before we start talking about the main movies? Oh, right. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, this week, uh, I, after recording it several weeks ago when it was on Sky, uh, I finally decided to sit down and watch the film Little Man. Um, Why? <laughs> well, that's what Tony asked me, actually. I just, I just found him uh, earlier to just talk about the show, and he said, Why? Why did I watch it, or yeah. why are we talking about it? No, no, why did you watch it? Obviously, it well, Mark Kermode, I'm going to quote here from Wikipedia, described it as the most retrograde, horrible, nauseating, inward-looking, smug, repulsive, grotesque, <laughs> ill-advised, badly judged film, pure evil, and he, although it might be evil. jokingly, uh, possessed by the devil. <laughs> uh, he, fur- he, he further noted that the film's existence signalled the end of Western civilization as we know it. <laughs> now, we all know that Dr. Kermode is never one to uh, exactly. trade in hyperbole, is he? No. But um, uh, I think he's on to something, frankly. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not actually... It's not... I mean, the, the, uh, is there any, even any point in discussing the plot? I mean, you, just look at the poster. If you, if you want to know what... If you just type in Little Man into Google, and it'll probably... In the images, and it'll probably come up with the poster. And there's Sean Wayne's, and he's holding a baby with Marlon Wayne's face on it. superimposed on it. And I think that pretty much tells you all you need to know about what the plot is. It, it, it's... Oh, Jesus. Um, I'm just scrolling through all the uh, pictures on uh, the uh, IMDb. It's, it's depressing watching yeah. it. Basically, what they've actually done, they've superimposed um, his face onto a nine-year-old midget's body. Yeah, he's a, yeah, L- Lyndon Porco is, is the actor's name. Sorry, uh, little person. I don't, I don't yeah, that's the, uh, that's his, uh, his name. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, but that's that's basically he, the the baby is basically is a cri- is a criminal. He's released from prison, and through various sort of, I mean, really stretching credibility even for this <laughs> various contri- a contrivance he ends up uh, basically posing as a baby to uh, uh, get a diamond back now uh, it's, it's the plot's obviously completely irrelevant it's the, c- the hilarious in inverted commas situations that they uh, that uh, director Keenan Ivory Waynes uh, and the, the and his, his uh, siblings sort of you know eke from this dynamite material um, <laughs> basically it, it if you can imagine, uh, just about everything that is wrong with modern comedies, every every single gag you can possibly think of that is unbelievably inane, uh, just has you sort of slapping your forehead, repeat, or you know, or possibly in, in, in you know, sort of taking a brick to your head, you know, <laughs> your eyeballs out, anything else, just to, just to avoid what's going on. Plus, they stick in this really, this really sentimental, you know, saccharine. Clap trap in there as well, just just to just I suppose give it some kind of point. Like he, you know, he's he's he's, you know the Sean Wayans character is all about he wants to be a dad, blah blah blah. His wife, you know, is you know is on you know trying to get promotion, blah blah blah, etc. And then you just you just imagine just stick in all of the all of the usual cliches. You know what? What's really depressing is that for for one for one, there's Alex Borstein is in this film now. Alex Borstein is the voice. um, of uh, Lois in Family Guy, and she's very, very funny, and she's she's had some pretty. I've seen her in a couple of things. Very she's in some sort of Hillary Duff film, wasn't she? Yeah, that she was. In a very, she actually had a very funny cameo in an episode of um, uh, Friends, which I think was to do with um, some sort of vagina monologues thing. I, I, I think yeah. people Chandler gets sort of stuck in. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure Liz will know exactly what I mean. But yeah, uh, I and that that's her. That's Alex Borstein. Now she's very funny, and she's just completely wasted in this sort of drivel. Chaz Palminteri, I mean, really. I mean, this is the guy who's in The Usual Suspects. Rob Schneider turns up in a dinosaur suit. I mean, <sighs> this is the sort of thing. That, I mean, that is love, frankly. It's, well, <laughs> I, I, I could be, yeah. I'm going to say that Juice Bigelow made me chuckle on occasion. <laughs> European Gigolo, not, not so, so much. Not, uh, not so much. But this uh, is from the makers of White Chicks. Yes. Of a quality. Um, basic. It, it's. I, I can't really. I mean, basically, my my my. my watched it with my brother. Well, my brother watched half of the film uh, with me, and we came to the conclusion that it's just you know every five minutes there was just gr- a groan, sort of you know rolling, sort of hunched over, just sort of in. Just the sheer horror of it all, really. Um, I can't um, really recommend it on any to anyone at all. Um, if you're listening to this podcast, if you've watched the film and you like it, stop listening to this podcast. Basically, it's, it's, it completely goes against everything. I, 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 you know, just it's it's the absolute antithesis of you know of what I like in films. If you think about it in those terms, it's just yeah. it's, it's completely at odds with what I find funny and um, well it's just a horrible 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 film and it should be buried in the death of those E.T. games um, <laughs> okay no okay. I'm going to say this because you're reviewing it and so you can't say it but um, <clears throat> so you didn't like it then absolutely I thought <laughs> <laughs> I'll ask myself the same question so I didn't like it then apparently not <laughs> Um, okay, so um, what what is it? It's basically, if you are thinking about committing suicide and you need something to push you over the edge, this is the film to watch, right? It's the film to watch. Uh, okay. If, 
yeah, there could. Be, uh, I'm trying to. I'm trying to understand under what circumstances it would actually make any sense for you to watch it. No, there isn't. Well, I, I just, just I, because I you've heard it was rubbish, and so you. Yeah, if you've heard it's yeah, there is there. Is, I suppose there is some curiosity value to be had from uh, you know it can't be that bad. It can't, but no, it really is. I mean, it, it was released. I think pretty much Dirty Sanchez the movie, which I have also I've seen I've seen bits of because uh, it's been on TV a couple of times, and that is also equally horrendous. Uh, which bits? Uh, Various, various bits of it. I just, I mean, it, it's just, it, it, oh, it's the people, you know. The thing with the, the thing with the Jackass movie, we're going completely off, off topic here. Yep. But the thing with the Jackass movies is the people are likable. That's what makes that's mm. what makes Jackass actually work. Uh, in this, they're three Welsh guys and a Londoner, and uh, they're they're just annoying and obnoxious, and just want them to just get run over or something. But anyway, um, so <laughs> actually, on, yeah. that, on that note, um, uh, me and my wife were as a sort of a part of her birthday. We're just sort of you know traipsing through the, my DVD collection, our DVD collection, just to uh, have a look at the kind of stuff that we're going to have on our shelf uh, when we have kids in some years' time, um, who actually want to start watching movies. And we we're just sort of pulling out the ones which we thought would, would show them at the age of up to five, at the age of up to ten. And I think there was only one or two movies that we were like, no. No, no, until they're 18. One of them was Jackass. As awesome as I think it is, I do not want my kids imitating Johnny Knoxville and company. I don't want them neutering themselves, killing themselves, maiming themselves, putting their heads in ovens or drinking horse jizz. I I do know one person who likes Little Man. Oh, God. That's my four-year-old little nephew. Oh, God. (laughs) He shouldn't be be watching it. It's not a, not for four-year-olds. It's for a four-year-old he mentality. Likes pulling, um, he likes pulling um, tails off his hamster. <laughs> oh, it's, it's, you know, it's, I can't abide cruelty to hamsters. I could <laughs> never do something like that. But I think the point is that he, he doesn't really know any better, so he just likes moving images. <laughs> okay, so basically, there's a poster quote. You'll love this film if you don't know any better. Better, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, look, he's drank some castor oil or something, and now he's just he's crapping in his pants. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, laughing already. Oh, God. Right, okay. So they, they've aimed this film at four-year-olds. Basically, bad. yeah. Four-year-olds. If, if you're old enough to basically be Speak. mistaken for uh, what the little guy is pretending to be, then maybe it's the right film for you. Mm. Okay. So let's move swiftly on to something of a bit <laughs> <Yeah>, more <please>. uh, <laughs> integrity, shall we? Okay, so. Hello. 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 Tom, hello. Hello. Tom, can you hear can us? Say something other than yes, hello. I can hear you. Hello. Hello. Yeah, sure. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, we can hear you. Hi. You can hear me? Yes, yeah, fine. Yeah, stop saying hello. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so speaking of Londoners having taste, <clears throat> Paul, you want to take it away? Centrinians. Right. Centrinians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, my brother and I have a tradition, my other half, as you refer to. <laughs> uh, Hello, Jeffrey. A, a tradition of seeing um, uh, a movie on Boxing Day now, uh, due to various, for various reasons that didn't happen this year, so we went and saw it on the uh, on the Friday after Christmas, as aware. Our, our pick, we usually try and pick a really, what we think will be a really bad film, and boy did we, boy did we <laughs> pick Doozy and Centrinians. I... I you know, the, the, I'm not really going to go too much into this because the, the, the plot itself, the plot where it's non-existent, basically, it's a, uh, school, rowdy schoolgirls, lots of oddball characters, government involved, quiz show, 
um, it's with Stephen Fry on it, uh, School Needs Saving, Rupert Everett, two roles. It's, a t- it's as messy as I'm making it sound. Yeah. Um, it's just a horrible, 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 horrible picture. <laughs> and when the best thing you can say about it is, well, Russell Brand is the least of its problems, uh, you really are in trouble. Yeah, Man, he's, he's, by, by no means. By, the, I think the only thing that's good, good to come out of this is one thing I would say is that what, what's her name? Uh, Gemma Arriton, her name is. Uh, she's actually going to be, uh, I think she's the next Bond girl, I believe, uh, for Bond 22. Now, uh, totally, totally thumbs up on that choice. Uh, the only, only possible reason I could, I could imagine that anyone would want to watch this movie. Uh, you, you see, you're stuck in a situation where essentially it's designed to invite the sort of pervy, well, me. Uh, people like me. <laughs> um, yeah, but you're stuck with this odd mixture of uh, Gemma Arriton, who's 22, for example, and then there's actually people who are clearly schoolgirl age, and you're left with this slightly sort of seedy feel. Who the fuck is this film aimed at? Um, is this aimed at dirty old men or is it aimed at chaffy teens? Uh, and it ultimately doesn't really doesn't really hit either, either of the target audiences and completely misfires as a result. It's a horrible piece of work and everyone involved uh, Colin Firth sh- he should be a bit embarrassed about the whole thing he just look, he looks embarrassed but Rupert <laughs> Everett deserves in terms of actors Rupert Everett I think is the one who probably deserves most of the blame not least because he's in two roles um, both of which are awful um, and there's, there's a whole load of talent being pissed up against a wall in this movie <laughs> Jodie Whittaker who was in Venus um, is, a, is a really good actress and is totally wasting her time with crap like this uh, and ho- the, like I said, the only thing I can imagine that will good that will come from it is that we should hopefully have a decent Bond girl uh, this time as well this, this year. I mean, not that we didn't have that any of the green, but we'll have another one. In other words, I'm hoping. <laughs> horrid, horrid movie. Avoid. <laughs> and like th- you haven't even mentioned Russell Brand yet, have you? <laughs> I, I mentioned the fact that the, the very fact that, that that's the the least of its problems. Uh, gives you an idea of, uh, I mean, people know our feelings uh, about Russell yeah, Brand. Yeah, I think, what did we say Russell Brand? Uh, uh, we uh, aren't going to repeat it. Very, um, very strong language, folks. Yes. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Yes, he, uh, he's, like I say, not the worst thing in this movie. Uh, totally waste squanders Lena Headey uh, in this. Oh movie. man, I like Lena Headey. Total waste of time. T- totally squanders her. Uh, there's all sorts of, all sorts of things wrong with it. It's, it's, it's rubbish. Just, just, um, Deserves it deserves the absolute kicking it's received. <laughs> Good. Um, I, can, I can only that that's the only small mercy we can imagine of this yeah. one. That it's so, by the way, just kicking. in case you hadn't worked it out, that's a one star. <laughs> uh, okay. So uh, what did you see that uh, soothed the pain of yeah, this? Yeah, I, I should say had shot. I just yeah uh, just to say had I seen that film uh, at, before we recorded the the, the round the movie roundup, I, that would have been in there. I would have been the worst of the year. Yeah. Yeah, I would have knocked Ghost Rider out of the uh, top five. Hey, up Ghost Rider. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, uh, right. So, yes. So, yes. Right. Now, the reason for us mentioning that I've seen St. Trinian's is because on the Sunday afternoon, uh, following this, this was you know, just before just before we, you know, the end of 2007, I decided, in light of a conversation we'd had several weeks before about films with talking chipmunks in it that got... <laughs> <laughs> people riled up. Incorrect, in, completely misjudged, I might add, because uh, Enchanted is great. Um, I decided I'm going to go and see Alvin and the Chipmunks. I'm going to take one for the team. Um, <laughs> 
into account that this is two days after the horror of St. Trillian's. <laughs> I'm mean, pretty, pretty despondent, pretty sort of, oh, Christ, the whole world's falling apart. You know, by the way, my brother hated it as well, who I went to see it with. Uh, I decided to go to oh, the gym because... <laughs> I was, well, quite apart from anything, I used to, I, I used to watch the, you know, I, the, obviously the, the chi- Alvin and the Chipmunks history spans many decades, so uh, there are certain points in which you, 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 you may have come into contact with it, with it when you were a kid. Now, in my case, this was in sort of late 80s, very early 90s with the cartoon. <laughs> or whatever, BBC, whatever the hell it was, wherever the hell it was playing. I BBC, yeah. Yeah, I used to watch it quite a lot and always always uh, quite enjoyed it. Yeah. So I had I had a bit of a soft spot for it anyway. And obviously you've got the, uh, the that Christmas chipmunk song which appears at the beginning of uh, Almost Famous, as memory serves me correctly. Is oh, that yes. right? Yep. So, yeah, so with that in mind. Now, taking into account my Justine Centrinians, <laughs> I went into Alvin and the Chipmunks, <laughs> not quite sure what to expect. It was like a breath of fresh air. <laughs> it's like a masterpiece. I was like, this, this is the most delightful film I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> it's a bit rubbish. I'll be absolutely honest. It is a bit rubbish. Um, it's not... Uh, I've got to say, it's, it's actually nowhere near as bad as I expected it to be. Um, uh, I don't... I'm not entirely sure why. Um, I think it might be because, ultimately, a lot of it's by... A lot of it's association with something from my childhood. And I always, I always had a very positive, positive memory. I should say this. This film should actually be called... Theodore and the Chipmunks, because let's face it, <laughs> Theodore was the decent one. You got Alvin is a bit too off the wall, uh, Simon's a bit too geeky, Theodore's kind of like the naive everyman, and you, you sort of end up, you end up, your your feelings towards it are probably the film is really at its strongest whenever he's the centre of attention, and I've no idea why that is. Um, <laughs> This is honest. Was it? There's that bit where um, he comes in and, and yeah, okay, says yeah, there's a, bit, a sequence yeah. in the film. All right, now I sh- I'll, I'll stress this. Obviously, I, I'm not. I don't. Kids. I'm a bit whatever about it. Not, you know, cutesy babies, whatever. Don't really give a monkeys about whatever. Just does doesn't terribly bother me. So, sequence in the film where, and this is quite similar to stuff that ha- used to happen in the cartoon where. It's, Theodore comes into into uh, Simon the the adult. Hang on, what's his name? Dave. David. Dave. God, I can't believe I remember his name. <laughs> Dave's bedroom in the middle of the night and says, you know, looks at him, goes, uh, you know, sort of this sort of doe-eyed, sort of wide-eyed sort of face. Goes, I've had a nightmare. Can I sleep with you? Um, yeah, you won't even know I'm here. Okay, sure, but stay on that side of the bed. Oh, oh, oh okay. Now. 
at this point, the way it's shot, it, 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 there was basically, across the entire audience, a collective... Ah. Oh. So, uh, <laughs> the, the, the sequence in question can be seen on the web. It's, it's available. You can see it. Um, uh, well, well, a bit of it. But, um, I don't know. I mean, they're singing a bunch of, uh, a bunch of, it starts off with them singing a cover version of, uh, Daniel Powter's Bad Day. <laughs> Immediately got in, got into my good books straight away because I actually quite like that song, um, and kind of goes from there. The plot, um, well, uh, there's no real point. Is there? You know, chipmunks uh, in a uh, in a forest uh, tree gets cut down. They get shoved. At, you, well, their, their tree they're living in gets cut down. Oh no, uh, not the tree. The tree gets cut down. They're filling. <laughs> they're filling up with nuts. It's long story. And they get, end up in a. <laughs> what end up do? As What's the Christmas happen? tree uh, in a music. Um, Music, what's the word? Uh, record companies' offices in in the in the town or whatever, where da- where David is trying to get a record pitch to uh, his friend, played by um, David Cross, who's probably aside Theodore is probably the best, the other best thing in the film. Um, so that's how they they end up, you know, through various calamitous hilarity, they end up living together and writing songs. And he he David essentially looks after them because they are children, looks after them like a parent would. So, um, there you go. I'm not right. really sure what else to say. <laughs> um, I, I think this uh, film should be commended for finding, worming out of you, just a little bit of your inner parent. Just something in there just sort of tweaked at you. I, I, well, I'd give yes. the film a five star just for that one, because that's, well, yes. that's unheard of. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's... I don't know. As I said, in, in the... Uh, after Centrinians... <laughs> Uh, frankly, anything would be would be a masterwork, and uh, it just uh, it, it's it's not as bad as I expected. And that's about the best thing I can say. There's a poster quote for you right there. Exactly. Well, it, it tells. I was at least paying attention to it. I've done. I've, I've since then done two quizzes on Facebook uh, in the Flickster application thing that those who use Facebook will know. Uh, one of which was 18 questions, the other was 8. I got 100% on both of them. And these are questions like, no kid is going to know what, well, what kid's going to have be on Facebook anyway? What young child is going to be on Facebook? Firstly. Secondly, are they, are they going to know who David Cross is? Yeah. I don't think so. The kids so, are idiots. <laughs> you can just piss all over them. So <laughs> yes, I got, I got, I got 100% on both quizzes, so clearly I was paying attention to that. What can I say? Um, <laughs> Right, uh, is Alvin, as you would imagine from looking at him, su- is, is he incredibly anarchistic, or is that A, just for show? Uh, yeah, he, he's the he's the wacky one. He's actually, he's actually voiced by Justin Long, in fact. Whom I like. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it, this is the thing, this is why this is why I think Theodore is, Theodore just inspires the, oh, kind of uh, <laughs> attitudes from most people, and he, he always did when, in the, uh, in the cartoon. So this is really no different. It's well, if I ever have kids in the next couple of years, I will yeah. remember this one uh, for you know for you know, I will forgive it the excrement eating or at least holding in the mouth. Uh, Whoa, Theodore, did you just? No, 
you are today. It's just a raisin. Prove it. <gasps> okay. You owe me big time. For, and for at least the squeaky voiced, simplistic entertainment of sweet little chipmunks, who I'm sure my kids will like. It's uh, it, it it is a bit rubbish, but frankly, in a world it's where we yes. I I I I would, in spite of myself, enjoyed it, and I'd probably give it just. A, I suppose it would be a low end, but it would be a three, really low end three. Oh, but, uh, so it, in. Yeah, not not great, but I think one, there are certain films that you, you you know a film that you might watch like that where if it catches you at the right time you end up enjoying it and as a result would enjoy it on subsequent viewings because even though it is a bit crap uh, you 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 remember it by an association of something that happened so it, I think it would probably stay like that. So you is it a f- didn't give it a one. <laughs> is it a film for kids or is it a film for someone like you who has fun memories of it? It's a film for kids. I, I, ultimately, it's a kids' film. Well, then there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But, but uh, we're not the main audience, and the fact that it appeals to us at all is amazing. So. Well, yeah, well, it's a kids' film about the, 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 re- the heady dangers of uh, getting too entangled in the music business. Yeah, don't let uh, your uh, agent just do all make all your decisions for you. That's precisely. Telling that, that's cru- it's crucial. It's crucial that you know that. Because oh. he, he sends you down the wrong path. They, they're, sing- they're happy away singing all these uh, Christmas, Christmas, and all that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas, uh, you know, he's trying to get them to do rap music and stuff. Ah, because all the kids, nice. they like the rap. Yeah. Yeah. So, never designed for rap. Yeah, no, you can't it's rap. Absolutely true. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's, and, uh, yeah, Jason Lee's not too bad in it as well, so, bit credit. Not credit where credit's not too bad, crazy Scientologist Jason Lee. Okay. <laughs> Tony, before we move on to Paul, uh, just tell us briefly, <clears throat> briefly, about, oh, um, right. the, the other game I played, and, and this, unfortunately, was on my doorstep when I came home from Scotland, and it was, might as well been like someone had shut the turd through my, uh, letterbox and stepped in. <laughs> Um, the oh, one did you catch that? I, I, that was mine. <laughs> the one thing about uh, rental list is sometimes you don't get your top choices, um, and yeah. for some whatever, yeah, I, I, partly for achievements and, uh, and also just through curiosity, I'd stuck um, Jumper Griffin Story on there. Griffin Story. And it's got a subtitle. It must be good. Yeah, the reason it's Griffin Story is not uh, Christ. What was his, the other guy's name? Uh, well, Hayden Christensen. It doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter, it does it? it? really doesn't. The film was rubbish, he was rubbish, uh, the only person who was good in it was actually Jamie Bell. Yeah, and but the fact is they, I could, had high hopes for they couldn't get the licence for um, Hayden, Hayden Christensen. Christensen. I keep forgetting Why it. Why not? Because he's just too exclusive. So and they, they go with this guy, um, uh, Jamie Bell's story, and I've actually played quite a lot. He's of got video game experience, he was in Kong. He's got his voice. It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, there's actually quite a lot of games that I never actually do get around to playing. Well, I had I got the Golden Compass through. I played it on my separate account. Played about 20 minutes of that, and thought it was so dreadful that I just put it back in the pack and threw it away. Um, I played <laughs> just threw it away. <laughs> I played five minutes of this, and the combat actually seemed quite interesting. I mean, the basis the basics of it is that you've got obviously your A, B, X, and Y buttons um, that correspond around, and basically on the actual people, uh, yeah. they've got like red dots around them, half little red circles. So basically you can attack from the left, front, back or side, and basically you press the button and jump around the screen and start attacking from either side. It was actually quite fun for the the first five minutes. I was like, yeah, okay, I'll I'll put this in my main account and start playing it. How wrong I was. (laughs) The training level acts like, oh, yeah, this this is... Is there a demo up for it? No, there's not. No. For good reason. Right. No, so the training level is really easy, and the actual combat is, is quite fun. So I get there, and I'm like, okay, I, I do this, get onto the second level. And bear in mind, it's got some 
awful voice acting. The graphics, this this game, I'm sh- pretty sure they designed it on the PlayStation One, and then just got, got a little bit of cream, stuck it on, and said, "Look, it's shiny. It must be next gen." And it's like, oh, current gen. For God's sake, it's current gen now. It, next gen is the PS4. It's so, and it, the graphics are just terrible. The fact that you can hardly w- work out what his face looks like. So what's the point in having Jamie Bell in as a character anyway? And well, it says on the trailer, and I believe it, go anywhere, do anything. Can you go to Brussels and have a hot dog? <laughs> and, and this is the funny thing. And right, so I get out the train level, into level two, and I'm like, okay, this is starting to get a bit, a bit shit. Well, all of a sudden, the characters decide, like, they're going to have three of the four bars around them so you maybe you can only tap from the front but they they suddenly stick like 20 characters on the screen at once mm-hmm. and so you're pressing a and instead of jumping to that guy it jumps to the guy next to him because there's there's no real way of actually controlling it so of course that guy's got his shield up knocks you down you die i'm like right this is fun so you end up spending yeah. 20 minutes trying to kill these guys well here's the big problem the game's actually just broken <laughs> level, I think level, I got level four, there's only six levels. And I got all the way wow. through to this boss section, and I, I get up this set of stairs, and I'm like, where do I go? Th- there seems to be no apparent way I can actually get out of this room. What it was, when you get to this top of the stairs, what I had to do was stand off, step off the edge of this cliff, because the game actually forgot to draw a set of stairs that took me down the edge of this side of this cliff. Jesus Christ. So I stand on these stairs and suddenly they magically appear, but it would appear that I can no longer walk down any of these stairs. So I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm just literally walking it and it's drawing it in like half a millimeter in front of me. And so I get to the edge and work out there's a step, set of stairs. So I get further into the level, get to another set of stairs and I drop through the game world. I'm like, you're joking me. How have I, I've <laughs> dropped broke. through the game world and, and I'm, I'm literally like an ant on the map. Go anywhere, do anything. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? So I think, okay, right, I'll restart. So I restart that level, have the same problem with the stairs again. I reset the Xbox, have the same problem with the stairs again. So it's a programming error. So I get to this, that set of stairs again, I fall through the game world. It's done it twice. That's taken me an hour now to get there. All right, I'll give it one more time, one more try. Finally gets this set of stairs, proving that maybe it wasn't broken in their playtest. I managed to get through this over this set of stairs. I get to the boss. The boss is so rock hard that he kills me. And the game resets me at the chat checkpoint under this set of stairs broken in the bottom of the game world. I'm like, fuck it, Brilliant. sod you, Off. straight back <laughs> in the packet, threw it back in the post. <laughs> Biggest piece of untested shit I've ever played for a very long time. If there's a thing for the worst game of the year, this is going to get it. Because I can put up with games that are kind of just badly made, a bit like... Um, uh, Soldier of Fortune, where it's just stupid. But one thing I hate is when games come out and they're just not being played, tested at all, so they're actually broken. So if somebody buys this, they're going to have the same problem. Because I've tried it. I tried it on two different Xboxes. I tried it on, you know, my account and get in there. And it's just, it was just, oh, that annoys me so much. So not that anybody's going to probably go out and buy it. But just like the film, utterly forgettable. This is worse. It's broken. It's shit. It needs to be taken from the shelves, in my opinion. Because I've wasted six hours, well, five hours, up to that point. And I couldn't go any further. Because the game just didn't want me to do so. So, was, that, was there an HNC64 game where they, they hadn't finished the last level, so they put a really massive jump in there, which no one could actually possibly <laughs> do? And that just seems like that. These things get through playtest, really, though. It's just... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. You know, the old Nintendo uh, seal of quality and stuff like that, you know. Nah. <laughs> I don't resist anymore. Cowboy Bay!
So, what have you seen yeah. this week? Hey, I've seen Grindhouse. Grindhouse. But is it worth seeing, is the thing? Yes, it's worth seeing. Really? Yes. Okay. M- mate, I was the same as you, right? Mm-hmm. I saw that trailer, and I thought, what the hell is going on here? We've got a chick <laughs> with a gun gun on her le- gun for a leg. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it just looked stupid. <laughs> and we wondered whether they'd lost their sanity or what, you know. I just thought they were asking about because obviously it's amusing to them, and I just figured it was just some colossal in joke. But yeah, exactly. Like, mm. oh, let's do something for the fun of it. Yeah. Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, of course, have become best buddies over the years, and they've decided to sort of recreate that experience for people today in a mainstream theatre, right? Yeah. The result of which is. In my opinion, absolutely brilliant. Okay, basically, right? It, the whole experience is there. You, they've even made um, trailers themselves. They've created fake <laughs> movies and <laughs> made trailers for them, which is the first thing you see, a trailer for uh, a movie called Hobo with a Shotgun. <laughs> About some dude that's suddenly seen the light and he's got himself a shotgun and goes around <laughs> killing people that he thinks are doing bad things. Uh, the first movie we see is the, obviously the Robert Rodriguez one called Planet Terror. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 Robert Rodriguez is a very stylized director. Uh, it's What he's done is he's taken everything that you don't want to happen in a movie like, you don't want the graininess. You, you want to reduce the amount of graininess, <laughs> the bad colouring, the bad camera shake, you know, all the, all the stuff that can go wrong while you're filming. He does on purpose. <laughs> but he doesn't just use it in a way like it, oh, that, you know, that's just to create sort of the atmosphere of it. No, he uses it in a stylistic way to intensify the moments. He just uses them so well. Um, Oh, man. We open, of course, with a shot of uh, a dancing scene <laughs> of the, uh, the beautiful girl that stars in it. Uh-huh. What, Rose McGowan? Yeah. yeah, Rose McGowan. The one with the shot machine gun for a leg, yeah? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's typical Robert Rodriguez stuff. You but, know? you see, I've seen that so many times. It's like the first thing I ever saw. It was like the machine gun leg. It was like, how oh, outrageous. And then I saw the trailer, and it was the machine gun leg. How outrageous. And then the other trailer, and it was like, yes, have you got anything else? Well, no. (laughs) Trust me. There's a lot more. Good. So, yeah, the first movie, Planet Terror, is, I mean, I was just cracking up, and everyone was cracking up. The whole way through, it is, (laughs) (laughs) it's hilarious. It pushes the boundaries. It's, oh, it just does so much cool stuff, cool effects, cool editing. And it's non-stop. Like, there's no bad bits, no boring bits, you know. You it sounds From Dust Till Dawn flavoured, most definitely. And From Dust Till Dawn is one of my absolute favourite schlock horrors. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, okay, Death Proof, you've not spoken of this, this yet. Death Proof is, of course, the Tarantino mm-hmm. movie, uh, the second one you see. Mm-hmm. And for me, this is where it sort of got... I was starting to get a bit sh- unsure about Tarantino. Uh-huh. Um... The first one's brilliant, and then you get into the second one, and 
you don't know whether Tarantino's lost his mind or not. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because he's such, he's such a brilliant director and he's such a groundbreaking director that you really expect something, again, that's going to be groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, there are moments at the beginning where you think, where's this going? What's going on? I don't know. It's going nowhere. It's your typical, you know, 20 minute scene. <laughs> where they're just talking. Seemingly not edited at all. Yeah, exactly. One shot. Typical Tarantino stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's where you think, oh, is he just doing the same old thing again? You know, when's he going to sort of pull something out which might be a little fresher, a little newer? Mm-hmm. Or is he just stuck in this, uh, you know, same old thing that he's been doing his whole life, right? Yeah. But come the end, you're not disappointed. Yeah. It picks up and it really kicks in <laughs> and it finishes with an absolute bang. <laughs> it's, 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 and it's so funny. You leave the theater laughing and smiling and thinking, yes, that is what I wanted to see. Wow. On these two guys. God. I think it's going to become a classic. It's oh. going to be up there in the leagues of, you know, Al Mariachi, uh-huh. Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill. I think, you know? Yeah. Some people, of course, won't like it. I suppose if someone was to ask me, what did I think of this film? I would respond, well, you might as well ask me, what did I think of that nap I just had? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's really, really boring. From start to finish, and I'm, I wasn't a big fan of the second part. The first part I was kind of willing to go along with his kind of fun experiment, and the final sequence made me laugh, something chronic, but that was just about enough. Then they bring us the second part, and obviously it's maybe a bit more intelligent, but the genre that he is trying to imitate isn't actually tel- intelligent. So when he wanders into his second part, he's actually kind of not really even mimicking what he sets out to do. And it just, I like the ending of the second part, but by the time it gets to the ending, I really was just sitting there in the cinema going, has it finished yet? And there was no, you know, there's a reason four people walked out the screen, um, a few, you know, what seemed like a few hours in, but it was probably only you know, an hour. It's just, a few hours to in. Me, to me, it wouldn't be such a big disappointment if it wasn't Quentin Tarantino, and the same stretch of breath, if it wasn't Quentin Tarantino on the label, I also think this film would struggle to get a cinema release, if any cinema release, and I think that's the most telling sign, that if you didn't have him on the label, you wouldn't be seeing it, because it wouldn't be released, and I think some, that has some sort of bias towards it, and so ultimately, I wasn't a big fan of the film, but, you know, if you enjoy it, then great. Paul? Well... I mean, I, I I hated this film. I really hated it um, from pretty much the word go. Well, Tony's, Tony's already identified. I think the, the fundamental problem with it is that it's so boring. Uh, it threatens to create a, a hole in the space-time continuum, I think. Anyway. <laughs> um, I, I, it's difficult to say. I mean, basically, there, 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 is, n- there is no point to this film whatsoever. I, I just... It beggars belief. How... And, I mean, we've gone from Jackie Brown to this, right? <laughs> just, just to clarify, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, the Kill Bill films, ignore all the other rubbish we discussed. Tarantino appears to have found the fountain of youth in the late 90s. Now this. I, I just, I mean, okay, with, with the possible exception 
of Rosario Dawson and Mary Elizabeth Winstead <laughs> in a cheerleader's uh, costume. Outfit, yeah. the, um, those, I think those are the only two things that in any way held my interest, uh, for the obvious reasons. Um, <laughs> I just... I'm, 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 I'm lost kind of words. lost for words, really. Uh, it's, I, tell you, I tell you what, it's one thing that's telling. The multiplex that, I'm, that it's showing at at the moment, um, where, I, where I saw it, my local one, has like a full, full screenings throughout the day, right? And as of Friday, it's down to one screening at nine fifty. This is a Quentin Tarantino. Fucking hell! So, so I'm, I'm assuming it's not done well in the UK then. No, and that's that's what it indicates. It, it is it is disappearing uh, as well as disappearing up its own ass. It's disappearing off our cinema screens, uh, sharpish. By Bet the time. Kill Bill Volume Two is looking a bit tastier now, isn't it? Right, you're kidding. So there's no no blues version of It's Hard Out There for a Pimp. I did, yeah, I mean, and the Oscar goes to It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp. pimp. Jesus wept, I think, is what you're looking for. Can I just say, with with regards to um, Black Snake Moan's opening, you said said it basically has Christina Ricci fucking someone and some music. Justin Timberlake, yeah. Does it... That doesn't sound like it beats uh, This Is England's Roland Rat opening. <laughs> I didn't see This Is England. Mm. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not much for Shane Meadows, I've got to say. I, I didn't enjoy Dead Man's Shoes at all, and nothing I saw about This Is England really encouraged Great me movie. on it. Great movie. Yeah? I, I, room for Romeo I keep Brass. hearing that. you seen a Room for Romeo Brass? No, I haven't. I, I mean, I keep hearing tremendous. good things about the guy, but I, I don't know. 24-7 is great as well. Something um, about his, his stuff just kind of doesn't appeal to me. I, I don't know. Maybe I should see... Characters. No, his gear's been stolen. Oh, no, no, that's deeply unfair, as I will probably tell you. <laughs> I'm joking. No, yeah. I, I think the... Um, yeah, I, I agree that uh, I don't. I, I, although I liked Dead Man's Shoes, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it, it, I thought it was a little bit overrated. But yeah. uh, th- this is England. I, that's probably the best film I've seen this year so far. So, well, which means you'll probably hate it. So um, okay, right. Hypothetical situation: Christina Ricci fucking someone in an opening sequence, and that someone turns out to be Roland Rat. Best opening sequence ever. We've got it right there. I think you're truly disturbed. <laughs> oh, 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 oh God, nightmares! <laughs> it, was a good, it was a good idea because it immediately got everyone on side straight away. <laughs> oh God! Check it out, y'all. Check it, check it out. Check it out, y'all. Check it, check it out. Don't be afraid when I turn the party out, cause I come from the moon and I carry all the clout. I got a quad laser. It will amaze you. My gig hat is this ass. I want you to step back. And I'm joined now by uh, regular digital cowboy Paul Shotton and uh, new digital cowboy, old friend of ours, Thomas Underhill. Tom is an aspiring screenwriter and uh, possibly filmmaker. Um, he's currently writing a script called Another Day at the Office, which uh, I will let Tom describe. What I'm going to do right now is interview him and uh, hopefully glean some insight into uh, his creative processes. Okay, uh, what's the film called, Tom? Okay, this uh, film is called Another Day at the Office. And might I might say it's a pleasure to finally be on Digital Cowboys. That is my pleasure as well. It's mine okay. as well. So, Tom, uh, yeah. 
How would you describe your film, first question? Okay, this is, um, this is an underlyingly an assassin movie, but um, we're, we're approaching it with the same intentions as Gross Point Blank. Bit of humour, uh, maybe referencing other films, uh, such as the aforementioned Gross Point Blank. Uh, also references to uh, other assassin films uh, with the same reverence as... Uh, Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz. Uh, is it a serious movie? It, it is. It is. Everybody in it is going to be serious, though the situations and the way it will be, it hopefully come across, will be um, will make people laugh out loud. Hot Fuzz was filled with in jokes and references to uh, genre pieces like Bad Boys Two and Point Break. Um, and things like that. Although it was incredibly funny, uh, it was also a straightforward film as well. Is it going to be more of a case of you're not laughing with the characters as at them? Yeah, um, unlike uh, the, the thing that's really got me over the last few years is, um, with the exceptions of the two aforementioned uh, British films, is the American versions of let's take a film and put it together with shots and characters from other films and have sort of a really loose, incoherent plot line going, running through it just to cram as many blatant mm. rip-offs. Give us an example of that one. Um, for example, Date Movie, which I, I went yes. because I unfortunately have this, a tiny fascination with Alice and Hannigan. just realised that if this is the way the American comedy is going, then I, I really need to start raising some flags and... Mm. Uh, so, not it was a, a, a crap. Movie. It was absolute garbage. It, <laughs> it, it, it crap, looked crap for would be doing for a, yeah. a, a, a... It was on TV on the other day and it was awful. So this is not meant to be like date movie, epic it's movie, scary movie. It's not meant to be just a collection of it's, it's, of sort of skits and it's it, it's, it's a proper which, film. Which, which, it just which, happens to be funny. Yeah, it, which, yeah. Basically, yeah. It's, it's proper proper film that happens to be funny with in-jokes and nods to all the assassin films that have been done out there. You Actually, you gave me a list of those. I, I, you, uh... I did indeed. Uh, some might not appear in the first one. If mm-hmm. people oh, like the first three. one, if, if the first people like the first yeah. one, I have been thinking ahead in their head. So, uh-huh. uh, How far ahead, Tom? How far ahead? I have named parts one to four so far. Uh-huh. So, What's part two called? Uh, a part two at the moment is going under the incredible working title Another Day, Another Dollar. <laughs> okay, next. Uh, next part uh, three was uh, Another One Bites the Dust. Okay. So that's uh, three and others. That's nice. Okay. And, and part four, four was uh, once, okay. another, once Another Pun a Time in London. Okay. Um, right. uh, therefore, therefore, we 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 therefore some characters. Quadology. Quadology. Sorry. Quadrilogy. I think. Quadrilogy. There. An epic quadrilogy. Quadrilogy. I mean, would it be fair to say, Tom, that you know you, your influences are such, um, you know, gems as assassins, uh, the replacement uh. killers. I, I wouldn't say that that was I would, it. I would, it was say, I would say I would say there are films that we are going to mercilessly we are going to mercilessly mock because they are bad. Right. Um, for the simple reason is they are the blemishes 
but then uh, right, okay, sorry, no, okay, I misunderstood. No, I, I've, I've just got your list here that you sent me. You've got, you know, assassins, <laughs> Austin Powers. Oh, you got it. Got it. Um, Inside Man, the Jackal, the Killer, Layer Cake, and, you know, so and so forth. No, I just, yeah. I think we just, it just gives, it gives, it wanted to give an idea of, you know, what, uh, again, you know, what sort of, sort of films you have in mind yeah. when with this script. I think that's more the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah we all know assassins and replacement killers are, are, are rubbish oh. movies. Uh, but, yeah, but um, there, there, there are there were a few a few um, little interesting scenes in there which had somebody had a little yeah, bit in more Assassin's case, all involving Julianne Moore. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, oh yeah. I did like the bit where Antonio Banderas was running around with two silenced guns. That was kind of fun. And that's the bit um, where he's, he's anyway. No, no, we're, we're going totally off track. But <laughs> yeah, totally off track. Okay. okay, right. Um, and last question before we do a reading: Who would you most like to work with? Again, um, eventually, anyone and everyone, I would say. But not just on this project, but on general projects. There are there are yeah, people. Okay. There are people yeah. I wouldn't mind um, being present with Kevin Smith on 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 set, maybe. Uh-huh. Um, cool. Then actors, um, I would like to see if some uh, Ricky Gervais, um, Martin God Freeman. Him. Oh, and then we've got our new our new dream wish list, uh, Mishka Barton, who was uh, formerly of the OC. Uh, we have uh, Summer Gallo, who was in Serenity. Oh, glad, and yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have. Um, oh, uh, sorry. One second whilst I find her on. Okay. <laughs> um, to find her in my spank bank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there should be... Oh, man, there should be... Uh, to totally divert, there should be a website called spankbank.com that you just basically store, like, your ten hottest chicks in, and you can check out other people's hottest chicks. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Okay, no, right, you heard it here. We're that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> Let's Google spank no, bank. I got- Damn it. Of course, that that does have like rather pervy connotations. Yeah. No, 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 oh yeah, that's. Um, no, um, oh no, there is one. Actually, it's called it is called Spank Bank. <laughs> wow, Heidi Klum is flexible. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, we found as Zoe. Yeah, seems to really Zoe like Deschanel. bananas. Okay. Uh, yeah, Zoe Deschanel. Yeah. Yeah, oh, Zoe Deschanel. Uh, it's I not Zoe. Actually... People call her Zoe. Yep. Zoe. Zoe. Zoe with two O's. I think I might call her um, Zoe. With, uh, you have, yeah. yeah who was in uh, the absolutely uh, fantastic uh, and fabulous Bridges to Terabitha. Ah, oh, you saw it? Yes. What do you say? I Give guess, us a quick uh, review. Uh, one else uh, again, fantastic. I, I was really, really hope um, it is um, the way kids' films will go. Yep. Uh, more live action, less... Um, Kitty action. Yeah, fucking hell. And the animated chickens. And <laughs> penguins. Totally. Okay, right, brilliant. So basically, your student animals. Almost famous. And all the real Yes. Girls. There you go. Yeah, uh, significantly. Yeah, again, that again. Is wrong five times over. <laughs> <laughs> wrong and getting wronger all the time. We have a treat for you folks because we're going to be reading excerpts from Tom's uh, script, Another Day of the Office, in the style of. An old radio play. I should be reading script direction. Uh, Tom should be reading the part of the lead character, who is simply known as The Man. And uh, Paul will be reading the parts of all the other characters that he interacts with. Yeah. Okay. 
This is excerpts. These are all mostly out of context, so it sort of all fits into the ensemble, but it gives you a flavour of what uh, Tom is going for in this. And if you'd like to be part of the development of this script or you'd like to know more, uh, then just email us at digitalcowboys at googlemail.com. Okay. Another day at the office. Fade in. Interior. Hotel room. Undetermined. The hotel room is brightly lit, and everything suggests that the room is in a very expensive hotel. Sitting on the king-size bed is the man. He is something of an enigma. He is 33. His long black hair is tied into a ponytail. A pair of dark sunglasses hide his eyes. He is wearing a black silk shirt with a maroon silk tie and a long leather jacket. He is clean-shaven, and on his lap is a briefcase. (laughs) It has come to be believed that prostitution is the oldest profession in the world. I have no evidence to suggest this is not so. However, I do believe that my job must rank as the second owners. You only know us by our deeds, and you may see our faces when we screw up or are made of scapegoats. The man removes his sunglasses and relaxes back, closing his eyes. Some of the less successful brethren include Marcus Julius Brutus, Mark David Chapman, and Lee Harvey Oswald. You know their names, you know their crimes, and because of this they are shining examples of what not to do in my trade. Anonymity is the key when you are an assassin. Oh, and in answer to your next two questions, yes, I remember my first kill, and I learnt my skills from my father. Right, the next scene that follows is a flashback to uh, a very pivotal moment in the young man's life. Interior, a suburban home, night. A happy family scene is before us, mother, grandmother, grandfather... The young man and his girlfriend, Jess, they're all seated around a dining table chatting away, but there is one obvious place that is not occupied. The mother says, with a hint of concern and anger, Oh, I wonder where your father's got to. He knew we were sitting down to eat at at 7.30, and it's now nearly 8. I'm sure you'll nearly be home soon, Mum. Anyway, Jess and I are planning to go out tomorrow night, if that's okay with you. The mother looks across at Jess, a very petite young lady. She has short-cut black hair with a red and blue streak in. She has a visible nose ring and is about the same age as her son. However, before the mother can answer the question, the phone starts to ring. That's probably Dad now. I'll get it. Okay, dear, but do tell him to hurry up. Yes, Mother. Hello? He picks up the ringing phone. Cut to East Station. Amongst the hustle and bustle of a busy police station, we see the young man's father on the phone. Happy birthday, son. Look, don't say a word, but something's come up and I won't be able to make it back tonight. Tell your mother that I love her and that I hope that you do your father proud someday. The father then looks around before carrying on. That fucking bastard Sir Winston Parker Broadbent just fucking set me up. My career is as good as over. Remember, once you've been arrested, you're no good to anyone. Bye, son. See you soon, mate. The young man still has the phone to his ear, but his face shows that he is angry, confused and upset. Fade two. A church graveyard, a wet and windy day. The typical funeral is in progress, with mourners all dressed in black, huddling together under umbrellas. The vicar is just finishing. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Amen. As the coffin is lowered into the ground, the funeral party starts to file past either throwing in flowers or dirt. A large, well-built man stops to talk to the mother and the young man. This gentleman is Nick One Thump Cox. He shakes the mother warmly with a hand. My deepest sympathies, madam. My name is Nicholas Cox. My friends call me One Thumb. He holds up his hands, and we see he has only one thumb. I was a business associate of your late husband. He was a consummate professional, and his talents will surely be missed. The mother, holding back tears, manages a weak smile and a nod of the head. Nick then turns to the old man and places his hand on his shoulders before 
You look, ev- uh, you look every inch like your father, young man. You'll do him proud one day. Nick gives the young man a hug and slips a small card into his pocket, breaks the hug and gives a playful slap in the face. Thank you, sir. Your words are very comforting. Do me a favour, son. Call me Uncle Nick from now on. Nick walks off. Cut two. Interior. Hotel lobby. Day. It's a large, the expensive hotel lobby somewhere in the southern United States. The doors to one of the lifts open and a number of people step out, including the man. We notice that he is clean-shaven and he has his hair tied back. He is wearing a shirt, tie, smart-looking trousers, a long leather coat and sunglasses. He is also carrying a large briefcase. He looks quickly around as if choosing where to go first before walking over to the reception desk. On the reception this particular day is Lucy, a young lady. She is wearing a name badge with her name and the words trainee receptionist on it. Hello, sir. How can I help you today? Do that, do that in a southern accent, Paul. I can't do a southern accent. <laughs> right. Hello, sir. How oh, can I help okay. you? Hello, sir. How can I help you today? The man removes his sunglasses, leans forward and reads her name badge. Well... Lucy, I'm staying in room number 1666, and I was wondering if the motorbike that my friend delivered for me has arrived yet. I would be very grateful if you could find out. Certainly, sir. Lucy disappears for a moment and returns with three keys on a Harley Davidson key ring. There is also a piece of paper attached to them. Lucy is looking at it as she returns. Here they are, but before I hand them over, I need to ask you the security question on this piece of paper. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. What is the make of the car you drive at home? That would be a canardly rolls. Lucy nods. As she hands over the keys, she shakes her head and looks a little worried. The man, seeing how worried Lucy is... Yeah, great car on hills. It can hardly get up them. And at the top, it just rolls back down. Lucy looks blank for a second, then starts to giggle. (laughs) Oh, I get it now. (laughs) Trying to control her giggles... She regains her composure. Is that all, sir? No. Don't suppose you can tell me where I can find something to eat, please? I certainly can, sir. Just over there in the restaurant. Pointing. Our world-famous all-you-can-eat breakfast is only $10 a head and running for another half hour. Thank you very much, Lucy. Have a nice day, sir. The man puts his sunglasses back on, like Blade, turns around and then... <laughs> no, it's more George Clooney, sorry. not Blake. Yeah, okay, sorry, sorry, yeah, totally. The man puts his sunglasses back on, turns around, and then walks towards the restaurant. Interior. A busy hotel restaurant. The people are a mixture of businessmen and tourists. Waiters and waitresses are bustling around with jugs of fresh juices and pots of tea and coffee. We see chefs making waffles and pancakes to order. We can see hot lights with sausages, bacon, mushrooms, tomatoes, beans and other hot foods. We can also see tables of fresh fruit and cereal. The man wanders around to the buffet and finally sits down with a huge plate of food to relax. A few moments later, a waiter comes over. Can I get you anything to drink, sir? We have tea, coffee or juice. One large coffee, please. As the waiter hurries off to get the coffee, we hear a loud crash of breaking crockery. The man stiffens slightly, reaches into his jacket, looks around and realises what has happened. He removes his hand and continues with his meal. As the waiter returns with his coffee, the man leans back in his chair and takes a sip of coffee. Now, being a professional killer isn't the easiest job in the world. However, it is the one of the most highly paid. There are rules in my trade, but they aren't found in any book. These rules mostly are common sense. They cover such things as dealing with marks, meeting other hitmen, and lastly, crossover killings. Two people hired to kill the same person. It was rumoured that once a union was going to be formed to eliminate this problem, nothing ever came of it as the founding member was found dead in a little town just outside Detroit, Michigan. 
He was killed by a TV to the head. The man takes another sip of his coffee and smiles to himself, thinking about a person being killed with TV. <sighs> These rules have helped me still be number one after nearly 15 years in this business. The other reason has to be that I have an alter ego. Fade 2, interior, an arena, night. In this crowded arena, there is a brightly lit stage, and on this brightly lit stage, there is a band, Son of the Devil, the man's band. They're in the middle of one kick-ass show. We see that the man is playing a bass guitar. The crowd is going wild, and they rip into another one of their massive hits. My alter ego is, or secret identity, if you will, is as the bass player for one of the biggest rock bands in the world, Son of the Devil. This has been my perfect cover for my entire professional career. Meticulous planning by our band's manager and the one person who can get me the contracts, Uncle Nick, ensures that neither work interferes with the other. Cut to interior hotel restaurant day. However, the only downside is the day after we play a blindly gig and some fucking smart-ass decides to move our appointments. Then I keep Columbia in business with the amount of coffee I have to drink. The man downs the rest of his coffee and looks around and signals over a waiter. Yes, sir? Another coffee, please. End. In a Digital Cowboys exclusive, let's check out a submission Mr. Atkins sent in to a one Bobby Blackwolf for one of his favourite podcasts. So uh, one last story uh, that I wanted to talk about, and actually this one comes with a voicemail comment. So I'm going to play the voicemail comment and then give my thoughts on it, uh, because the voicemail comment here actually kind of covered uh, what the story was. So uh, this was sent to our voicemail here on Skype, Bobby Blackwolf Show, all one word, on Skype. Hi, Bobby. This is Ghost World, from the UK. Um, my question is, the recent news about Viva Piñata coming to the DS, um, I'd just like to hear your opinions on it. Uh, my take on it is it surely can only be a good thing for Microsoft. They must be making a portion of each sale that will be coming from that game. Um, it introduces them to uh, a very big audience from Nintendo. So if anything can come from that, i.e. if the, the people who really enjoy the Nintendo stuff and want to buy a next-gen console have a de- decision between the PS3 and the Xbox 360, if there's um, some names that they recognize on that console, so the 360 with the Viva Piñata brand and maybe anything the Microsoft in the future, surely that can be a good thing and could sell a few more consoles on behalf. So... Um, just a lot of people have been criticising the move, and I just think it, it actually seems like a really good idea on their part. Um, just wondering what your take is. Okay, um, speak to you soon. Thank you, Ghost World, for that. Um, so essentially, what uh, what he was referencing is, you know, Viva Pinata coming to the DS. The original game it was announced at Comic Con, uh, not the party game that's coming out, but rather the original uh, Viva Pinata that I don't think did too well on the 360. Um, top down version, so it's not all th- uh, 3D and stuff. And, you know, it's a lot of people are saying, oh, it's rare going back to Nintendo and stuff. And, you know, Viva Piñata is a Microsoft product, and I, I haven't really researched how much, you know, how much Microsoft had a hand in this. But I do know one thing that, you know, a lot of people at Microsoft like what Nintendo's doing. And, in fact, it's always Microsoft that says, hey, instead of getting a PS3, why don't you buy a 360 and a Wii? You know, and they all talk about how they love their DS, you know, and, you know, they are neighbors in Redmond, Washington. Um, so it's not surprising. I mean, you know, this may 
actually prove that uh, Microsoft doesn't want to make a handheld gaming device. I think that's what's more interesting to me is that you know Microsoft might with this might be saying you know we're not going to do handheld gaming. We'll just make games for the DS. You know, even you know, because Rare is owned by Microsoft now, so um, that's kind of the angle that I look at it. And you know, I mean, hey, if it'll get people, you know, if Microsoft sees this as a way to get people to their system, if people like Viva Pinata on the DS, then hey, it's good for them. And then Nintendo gets a you know a good DS game that fits their their market. You know, uh, the Alki says that Viva will do good on the DS. I think, and. Um, Gripper01 says Viva Pinata is more suited to the DS audience than the 360. So I guess what Microsoft may be doing is trying to bring that audience to the 360. Let's just finish off with, uh, with uh, Stardust, shall we? Okay, now, I've been uh, doing with my time uh, Stardust. Uh, I went to see it the other day. Um, okay, this is a film that I've been looking forward to all year since I saw the trailer. Because, you know, it, it came out of nowhere. Now, Tony thinks the trailer is boring. Do you not, Tony? It, it doesn't inspire me to go and see it. God, is see, this is this is how ultimately everything in that film is is from how, what you make of it. It's, it's what you have with you that allows you to either appreciate or not a film itself. Now, for me, everything about the trailer made it look good, and I honestly wasn't disappointed. Um, it's adapted from a Neil Gaiman book from 1998. Uh, just very briefly, the uh, plot begins in a small town of Wall in Victorian England, uh, which holds a gateway to another world, the Kingdom of Stormhold, which in itself, by the way, doesn't actually go into the film, but it's in an even bigger world. Uh, there's a young shop boy named Tristan who jumps from the wall, uh, jumps from Wall to Stormhold to fetch back a fallen star for the girl he's besotted with, played by... Sienna Miller. Sienna Miller, who is becoming a bit of a chav icon in her own right. Um... Previously, who starred in Matthew Vaughan, the director's uh, inaugural film, Layer Cake, uh, which was, I have to say, fucking excellent. Uh, okay. The star itself takes the form of a young lady named Devane. Tristan then sets about dragging her back to our world before three witches can eat her heart and gain their youth. All the surviving brothers of a septet of princes claim the jewel around her neck. Now, okay. <laughs> I'm going to be really quick with this one. This film is very much like The Princess Bride. So people, you know, that's been, it's been stated before that this is, this is the case, and it is. Now, to prepare myself, I actually saw The Princess Bride first, beforehand. Just because I thought, you know what, if I go in cold without having seen The Princess Bride, I'll be constantly going, oh, it's not as good as The Princess Bride the whole way through. As it turned out, and I may get hate mail for this, but hey, it's mail. Um, it's better than The Princess Bride. Actually, by some way. <laughs> hate mail. Now, The Princess Bride, whenever you do those sort of best films of all time thing, Princess Bride and uh, Grace Point Blank, Groundhog Day and Goonies and stuff like that always turn up as like almost these flawless films that everybody loves. Forget hate mail from the listeners, mate. You'll be getting it from us. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually going to send you a message over Skype at this present. Okay, right. Watch the film before you send the hate mail. Okay. Um... It has the same sense of humour. It has the same wry delivery from everybody. Everyone seems to be taking, you know, taking it seriously with a wink and a nod. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> hang on, let me just read this hate mail. Oh, yeah. You are wrong from Paul and boo and hiss from Tony. Okay, right. I'll accept that from Paul because he's seen the film. But from Tony, see the film first. Okay. <laughs> Okay, it's like The Princess Bride, but it is much bigger, much glossier, and it 
it's filmed all on, on the Isle of Dogs or the Isle of Sheppey or something like that. Probably not the Isle of Dogs. <laughs> the Isle of somewhere in Britain. But it feels like a big American production without the, I'm an American man. I'm here to save the day. Where is the maid Marian? And the, <laughs> it's directed by, clearly by a smart British man. And it, he is a gift for getting people to deliver their lines with real feeling. And at the same time, it feels really real almost. Um, when they're speaking, which is completely offset by the, by the uh, ludicrousness of the fantasy setting. And at the same time, it almost feels like this world could exist, because they don't chuck orcs and goblins at you all the time. It's, it's not really all that fantastical a uh, place. It's just the place where odd, unusual things happen. And, you know, unicorns exist, and magic occurs. But it's not a completely far-fetched magic. So, sorry. I have a question for you. Yeah. The, the thing that put me off in the trailer... And I, I am actually going to go and see this film because one of the films that previously I was overly not fussed about and it being a fantasy film was Brisha Terabithia. Yeah. Turns out to be, you know, up there with my favourite films of the year. So now I, I'll give you the benefit of doubt and I'll, I'll go and see it. But the two things that put me off in the, 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 well, in the trailer was Robert De Niro. Yep. Camping it up. And to me, every time I see him camp up a role, there's just something inside me that cries a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, just remembers back to heat. Is yep. that the case? Does he camp it up too much? <laughs> Is he camping out up in what in heat? No. <laughs> okay, right. Um, no. Paul, you want to feel this one? Is Robert De Niro and, right, and the other thing is <laughs> Ricky Gervais. Love him, but every time he turns up in a weird, odd role in a film, I just go. <sighs> okay. Okay. In two. Try right, getting through Night of the Museum. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> Um, in in two hours of the film, I think uh, Gervais and De Niro together are on screen for about 14 minutes. So I wouldn't really... They're not that key to the film. Really, it felt longer. Yeah, okay. Uh, Paul doesn't like this film. I'm actually... I'm not going to give you too much airtime on it, Paul, because it's... I, I completely understand where you're coming from. You're not big on fantasy. Um, but what I'm trying to do is... Um, paint a picture of this that has not been put out by the rest of the media because no one else seems to like this film. Okay, Gervais himself is playing himself, playing Andy Millman in extras, playing Ray in When the Whistle Blows. He at one point goes, and tips his hat in a weird way. It's like, oh my God. And then he is rendered incapable of the power of speech and starts going, which is what Ricky Gervais does to relieve himself of pressure. And we apologise to people with headphones on at that precise moment. Once again, he's... Uh, he's uh, he's playing himself, and I don't think Ricky Gervais is capable of playing anybody else. I don't know why he's in the film, um, but it, it, it's I don't dislike seeing him on screen. And De Niro himself right. is a good role. I'm suppose. interested to hear what Paul actually does to say to, for a counter argument, and you know maybe you can finish up with why yeah, you sure. think. Yeah, no, firstly, no. you think now maybe that is a bit wrong. So Paul, Paul, go for it. What what uh, what the whole thing? Or I mean, yeah, whole thing. You're talking about De Niro. Um, I think fundamentally it, it does come down partly to the fact that this, this, uh, there is a certain element of fantasy cinema, yeah. in inverted commas, that I, I just can't stand, and this seems, seems to tick all the boxes. I'm a big fan of Matthew Vaughan's, uh, Matthew Vaughan in general. Obviously, uh, I, re- I'm really big fan of Layer Cake, having seen it umpty thrumpty years before any of you guys. And being on the DVD. And being on the DVD and Blu-ray <laughs> in the extra features, uh, as a special bonus for that, um, because I was at the Q&A. That'd be the, uh, the short edition. So, Awesome. Just, just check me out. Uh, but yeah. Uh, so that I went into this, you know, although the trailer, I've got, I'm with Tony on this. I was thoroughly nonplussed about it. Uh, you know, I went in. Okay, it's Matthew Vaughan. I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. 
I personally think he needs to stick to what he what he does best, which is clearly in the hard edged, harder edged gangster. You know, yeah. what kind of gangster? That kind of movie. He's he's better at that. This. It's like Rodrigue, with Robert Rodriguez doing the Spy Kids movies. It just, it just doesn't seem to work. It just, the whole film is just a bit of a mishmash, um, of, you know, so many different plot strands going on at once that it, it, I could barely keep up with it at points. And it, I found it often quite tedious as well. There was a lot, a lot of, a lot of the acting isn't very, isn't very good. Actors just seem to have been chucked into it just for the hell of it. Well, Paul, can I just counterpoint for just one second? Go for it. Um, yeah. I found the film fascinating. I was engaged the whole way through. I knew exactly what was going on. I thought the acting was great. Carry on. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, but you have to remember this comes now. That comes just from a from a particular point, yeah, point of yeah. view. I, I personally, a lot of the performances, I just I just didn't care for at all. So it's um, and I just said the plot is just is, is to my mind a mishmash uh, of all sorts of different things that just didn't seem to offer any sort of anything resembling any coherence. But hey, you know what do I know? No, no, no it's uh, not what do you know. It's, De Niro, it's De Niro in particular, as we mentioned, is. The the is is it's really a depressing sight uh, to see him. <laughs> oh no, hang on! Don't spoil around. it! Don't spoil it! Don't spoil it! That's an element of the film. No, it's not. It, 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 okay, there's a scene in the film. Then that's all I'll say. That you'll know it when you see. I'll it. agree. It is a bit cringe. Laughing a lot or not, but uh, frankly, I mean, th- this man was it was sat across out, uh, you know from Al Pacino. Saying, <laughs> you see, you know, do, do you see me doing thrill seeker liquor store hold ups with, with a born to lose tattoo on my chest? I guess Al Pacino oh. twelve years ago. <laughs> he's he's there doing well that. Dude, I got and one word for you: Showtime. I don't doubt he's had lower lows. Oh, n- n- uh, that to me, it, w- it really hit home, and it was just like, oh, for God's sake! And it was dialogue <laughs> when I was like, oh, my, oh, he didn't, he, he didn't just say, he didn't just refer to him as a whoopsie, did he? Oh my, just thing, embarrassing, sort of, you know, fist in mouth, grand, you know, sat, you know, something your, your granddad would have probably thought was was racy and out there in terms of a line of dialogue, and it just interjection. You know, I, really, I thought the dialogue was great the whole way through. <laughs> I'm just referring to one specific thing. I I, I, I I just didn't care for it at all, and it was it was it, what it just a real disappointment in comparison, yeah, particularly coming from Matthew Vaughan. I can I can see, I can understand why if you're big into fantasy cinema and all that, you'd probably get a bit of a kick out of it. But for me, as 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 was the case with Bridge to Terabithia, I was like, can we just get the fantasy bit? Can we stop that now and get back to reality, <laughs> which I thought worked much better. Right. Uh, and because I thought that that side of it was way more interesting than the playing around in the woods thing but um <laughs> it, which is what happened in the film yeah. anyway but well okay i mean fair enough but that, that's just where i'm coming from i think what this comes down to is the fact that ultimately this particular this kind of genre movie is is to me what horror films are to alex yeah uh, agreed, and, uh, totally. i really don't uh, a lot of them i really don't care for i mean obviously i really like you know, with a bit of it, eventually a bit of a bit of prompting i i really do like the, the lord of the rings films for example and um, two towers extended cut for example is obviously the the greatest of, the, of all of those agreed, uh, but um it, i just i couldn't couldn't get on with it and i just ultimately didn't the central characters are just, I just didn't care for. I, I didn't really uh, care what happened to them. Counterpoint, I love the central characters. Countering everything I'm saying, just can I, the can I, <laughs> It just happens to be true, which gives us that. Time out. <laughs> Separate. Yes, you're right. Papa okay, Tom, tell I, us how I, it is. Can I, can, I, can I come in with a, a quick, just well, a quick thing? I like quick. Uh, and I will try and make this as quick as I can. Okay, um, I came out this, I came out this film, 
And I thought to myself, why, oh why, did Matthew Vaughan not find some way to carry on making X-Men 3? Yeah, I thought that's why I came out of this film thing. I thought this really showed he can do his hard-edged gangster suit, but then he can do a film unlike, and I will hands up, I went to see Spy Kids 1, 2, and 3, and Lava Girl and... Shark Boy. Don't own up to that. Tom took four for the two. Robert Rodriguez, don't direct kids' films. Matthew Vaughan, you are the British Spielberg. I'm sure he's never the one to estimate Tom. Yeah. <laughs> never one Tom, to overstate. Tom Underhill, he never minces his words. <laughs> Tom Underhill, not a mincer. Okay, right. <laughs> Tom Underhill, legend. But okay, from, from what I can determine... No, no, hang on, no, I, I have got so point. much more to say. I have to say it. Okay, right. This is not like Lord of the Rings. There are plenty of fantasy movies out there which try to do the Lord of the Rings thing and try and come close and... Most of them fail, although ones that take themselves seriously. What's that one you just? Aragon? No, the other. Oh, Aragon. Oh God. Yeah. Okay. But this one, this one doesn't take itself seriously. It's written by an excellent linguist. Uh, Neil Gaiman knows how to write, and it's adapted extremely well. It's not going to take itself seriously, and at the same time, you do, at least I do, take it seriously as as a film because you start to care about the characters and you want you know good things to happen to them. Specifically in the acting, Charlie Cox as the hero it seems to have come out of nowhere. I really liked from the get go. My wife will not let me get away without saying he's incredibly fit and. <laughs> Tony's wife, Liz, may get something extra out of the movie that Tony wouldn't otherwise get. Because <laughs> we don't really have that. We've got Michelle Pfeiffer, who is extremely sexy in a very unglamorous role. Uh, and even when she's decaying, it's important to say. It is a giant story told in a very neat little short way and delivered with wit and grace and warmth and in the same way as The Princess Bride, it leaves you feeling good about the world. And I think people, people have criticized it as being not a little bit like Gilliam Light. But I, to that can only really be a good thing because uh, Terry Gilliam's films are especially the ones in the past couple of years. I mean, The Brothers Grimm and uh, Thailand specifically. He tries his absolute best to push his audience away and say, you know, I'm going to outweird you all. So you either leave or you stay. And I think his current projects got something like the fabulous Fab Track and the Professor Horatio Hoffnangle. Yet again, another film to please him, but nobody else. I'm not criticizing Gilliam. I, I like Gilliam. I especially like Queer and Loading in Las Vegas. But he's not a one to actually write, write something that people can really warm to. This is, is something that Matthew Vaughan's been wanting to do for many, many years. And he was on and off the project. And I think ultimately, if he left X-Men 3 to do this, it was a good thing. It's one of my films of the year, and I cannot wait to buy it on HD DVD. So there you go. Tell me. I was going to say that it, it seems to be two completely different um, personality takes on it. You've always been into fantasy. Paul's never been into fantasy, and it, it seems to be you know Paul will see all the negatives towards it, and you'll see all the positives towards it. And I <laughs> think from really the reviews that I've seen elsewhere, the actual film, by the sounds of it, actually lands somewhere in the middle of that. Mm. Um, so I mean, I'm I'm interested to see it now, but uh, and I'll I'll let you know next week. But yeah, I mean, that's that's what I'm gaining from this, that maybe the film is neither as good as you think or as bad as Paul thinks, and <laughs> actually, Very in lucky. reality, sits in the middle. But um, is, it a, is it a good kid's film, just of note? That's an interesting one. I don't think that most kids will really appreciate the best parts of this. I think, you know, your take on things is that if it's a kid's film, it absolutely must be 
you know, that kids can appreciate every aspect of it, and that it's not yeah, just not feeble no. things for the adults. Okay, it feels like it's being marketed as a kids' film, and I got from the trailer that maybe um, it, that wasn't entirely the case. Mm. So that's why that's the reason I'm asking. I'd say it's as good as kids' film as Hellboy is. <laughs> Hellboy is perfectly accessible to small kids, but they have to be fairly mature. And if they're adults who appreciate certain and darker 12. elements, and twelve, yeah, if they're adults who appreciate certain darker elements, they they will probably get more out of it. And I think it's probably up there with with Hellboy as far as quality for both for for adults and mature children. Or one of the better superhero movies, maybe. Um, it's, it's really difficult to compare it to other fantasies because it's not really playing the same game. I don't know, it's, it's difficult to say. It's... Uh, Alright, well, let's round it up. Um, put it this way, um, just a really, really, another really, really quick problem for me. Um, during the, uh, adverts for this, I saw an advert for Enchanted, uh, and <laughs> I went, yawn, snooze, and this does absolutely everything that Enchanted as a premise seems to set out to do, but 150 times better. We, we can only presume, because we haven't seen Enchanted. We can only presume. But it looks like it, it does so much better. I mean, Enchanted looks like it goes for the easy gags, and it's just, it's really, it's full of contemporary references, and it will date like crazy. And um, it's, it's a completely different game, really. But ultimately, this is something that's been put together lovingly, um, to that could go down history as as a well cinematic history at least as as maybe a, a forgotten classic or a, a, possibly even a guilty pleasure if people are going to define it as a fairly rubbish film. It's it's really good stuff for me anyway. Okay, well stepping in ring ding ding uh, review scores please gentlemen. Uh, a oh. Who wants to go first? I'm going to yeah, go, go, go with an A on this one, because an A plus would be something like Lord of the Rings. But this is a definite A, because it made me feel great. And Paul. An E. I love the ovarian spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh. somewhere between an A and an E. I, I'm, 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 I'm definitely airing on the side of Alex for this one. Um, definitely an A, an A solid A for me. Okay. Um, as opposed to... Dark is Rising, which is, I can't say it's the worst film I went, uh, this year. So that gets, gets, yeah, I saw Rush Hour 3. So it's, uh, E minus for Dark is Rising. Jesus. (laughs) You say Jesus, that's what Paul thought of yours. (laughs) Well. Well, I, I can, I honestly hoped that Paul would like it more than he did. I was not surprised. So did I! I like Matthew Vaughan and I'd like to meet him. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, we've got, uh, obviously, coming up uh, next, we've got, you know, slight, slightly opposite end of the scale. We've got Eastern Promises, David Cronenberg's new film, and uh, Sicko mm-hmm. as well are out. Yeah. Uh, and I actually saw, an, I, just briefly mentioned, I saw an Irish film at the weekend called Once, which actually has certain fairy tale elements see. in it as well. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that is one of the, the best films I've seen this year. It, it's really, really, really lovely film. I come with a massive grin on my face. Some people, reviewers, have found it irritating. They're wrong. <laughs> so um, also, I would say those there. reviewers are irritating. Um, so that's all I have to say about it. it it's mm. terrific. If you get a chance to see it, it's really, it's about you know um, it, the, the whole process of making music, which obviously is something I'm a bit more interested in now than I say was a year ago, uh, thanks to a certain music rhythm game. Uh, but um, 
it's I, it's wonderful. It just I, I won't I won't bore you with what the plot's about, but just if, if you get to see it, it's highly recommended. Okay. I would, but it's not on the cinema. <laughs> Here's a little bit from a joiny radio show I was on when my erstwhile host and sometime mentor Matt Fowler made two grievous errors in judgment in a row when choosing his music, if you consider what was the major news early last year. I hope this doesn't offend anybody, but uh, you have to admit it's funny. Yeah, um, before we jump into the more music, we have a much better way for people to ring in if they want to jump in on the show. We have sorted out a better number that works a lot more reliably than my Infernal Mobile. It's a nice London number. It's 020-8123-9564. And then maybe we'll do this music quiz with Alex if one of our three listeners rings in. Ooh, Gresh is very good. He's typing it into the chat room for us. Yep, it's 020-8123-9564. We'll take a song break. We'll have another track sourced from the Podshow Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. This track's called Madeline. It's by a guy called Lee Broderick. And if I recall, it's quite nice. We'll be back in about four minutes once we've done this song. Pulling up the driveway I'm coming home soon I'm coming home soon I love it when- Right, due to incredibly poor music choices on my part, we skipped one song into another song that should have probably also been skipped for all sorts of news related reasons, so I'm g- going to go for something else that I'm sure I won't be cringing at. Why the hell am I playing these songs this week? We'll go to another song from the PMN. This one's called Reinforced Concretes by Ember Swift. <laughs> So now we need the writer, so we need someone sort of intellectual with glasses, probably. Clive Owen. Oh, see, I love him when, he, when he's being an action-packed bastard, so uh, I love him in Sin City. I'm going to absolutely love his ass in um, Shoot Him Up. I'm going to love his ass. I'm gonna love his ass. I'm gonna love his ass. I'm gonna love his ass. His ass. His ass. Try Bowen. Try Bowen. Try Bowen. Try Bowen. Try Bowen. Try Bowen. <laughs> it's not just his ass, it's the whole, the whole, the whole, the whole, the whole of him. All of him. The, the whole of him, you can see, you can take that extra out of bit as well. So. And it's a very manly man crush. I don't want to do gay things with him. I'd like to shoot bad guys 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 with him. I'm going to love his... I'd like to shoot bad guys with him. I'd like to shoot bad guys with him. I'd like to shoot bad guys But I'll be behind him on the street. Clive Owen. Clive Owen. Oh, 
see, I love it when he's when he's being an action bastard, sir. Because I love his ass. Love that man. Love that man's ass. Oh, I feel like that.